Hello, and welcome to Conservators Combating Climate Change, a new podcast series by the American Institute for Conservation's Emerging Conservation Professionals Network. I'm Emma Hartman. And I'm Natalia Swanson. And we're so excited to be hosting this series that we hope will inform, empower, and inspire action in conservation and collections care professionals at every stage of their career. This podcast is generously supported by the Department of Art Conservation at the University of Delaware in honor of Bruno Pouliot. We're so grateful to the University of Delaware and to the entire AIC and ECPN community for supporting us in this new venture. We're elated to welcome our first guest speaker, Henry McGee, to the conversation today. Henry's background is as a bird ecologist and he has always centered his career around the environment and environmental issues. Henry has led collections-related work in museum settings, and he was head of the Manchester Museum's curatorial team for nearly two decades. At present, he works with everyone from individuals to museums to coalitions to accelerate partnerships, research, collections-based projects, and public engagement in support of a better future locally and globally. Henry actively works with museums on climate change and sustainability, notably on the UN Sustainable Development Goals. He's a member of the International Union of Nature Conservation Commission on Education and Communication and the International Council of Museums Sustainability Working Group, where he advises on how to mainstream the Sustainable Development Goals and the Paris Agreement. Okay, well, welcome to the program, Henry. We're so excited to have you here with us today. Thanks for the thanks for the opportunity to be here with you in these very strange times. Yeah, thank you so much for being here, Henry. Um, so, as our first guest in in this series, we'd like to start with something a bit broad and ask you to talk a bit about what sustainability means to you and how sustainability then relates to climate change. Sure. So, I mean, sustainability. Is um is a bit like one of these kind of mystery words. It's a word that you hear a lot, but um, if you were to ask people to explain what they mean by it, they're often sometimes a bit unclear. Um, and part of the challenge of that is that if people haven't got a kind of shared language or of a concept, then then they're not necessarily talking about the same thing. Um, and so one of the best ways I think about I find to think about sustainability is to recognize what it's not. And so as I look around, you know, in the society we live in and you look at the um, the kind of system that we live in, it seems to me to be really, really unsustainable. Like I go to the supermarket, I try to buy um, produce that's going to not have such a negative environmental impact, but often I don't have the choice because the choice isn't there. And so sustainability, although it's, I mean, there's, I could, you know, it's easy to kind of trot off um, definitions of these things, you know, like the, the most common one is the, the Brundtland Commission definition from 1987 that about sustainable developments, development that meets, meets the needs, needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. And that's, that's the most popular one, but, is a bit of a mouthful. And really, sustainability and sustainable to development, to me, are they're about responsibility and they're about um, acknowledging 
that we're all connected to the world around us, that what we do has an impact, whether it's a big one or a small one. But by the same token, the world around us has an impact on us. Um, and so, I mean, my background is as an ecologist, and I mean, I know a few people who work on sustainability museums, and we've got we've got a similar kind of background. We're from an ecology background, and whether that kind of predisposes you to be thinking about sustainability, but and I've got lots of other people um, people I've worked with from different fields, and they would all kind of say the same thing. Like I know I've worked with archaeologists, and they would say, "Oh, well, of course, our work is about the connections between people and their environment now and in the past." And so maybe each of us, you know, all of us with our different um, career paths and our different uh, contributions, we all have a part to play in sustainability. It's it maybe means slightly different things to us, but Generally, it's about, uh, I, th I think, is just having some kind of interest and attention to the future. It's like working with the future in mind. I think it's really interesting to frame sustainability in terms of, of what it's not. It's, you know, perhaps an easier concept to kind of grasp onto. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about how this... Um, the conversation of sustainability is related to the narrative about about climate change? Yeah, well, um, so I think what I'd say about this is like when you when we when you're faced with kind of mass media reports um, about climate change very quickly, because you can in, literally in one paragraph, very literally in a paragraph in the newspaper, you can see something that goes from climate change to biodiversity to sustainability and, and and sometimes even the Anthropocene, you know, just to throw in another huge concept. And these are, they're all exactly that, they're all huge concepts and they're not necessarily the same thing. Um, and so to talk about the relationship between sustainability and climate change, um, I think what I'd say is very often the way climate change is presented is as, is as if climate change is a big scary, you know, kind of big monster that's coming to get us as some kind of judgment for, for an unsustainable lifestyle. Um, but in a way, um, climate change is just the symptom of something else. Um, climate change is the symptom, pretty serious symptom, of, as I say, our, our unsustainable relationship with the world around us. That's the way that we consume uh, resources and we produce our waste is actually putting the, the planet's atmosphere, the gases in it, out of um, out of the balance that was there before. Um, and so the way I would think about sustainability and climate change, it's a little bit like if, if any if, if any of the listeners have seen the fil film Fight Club, um, where the it's a great movie. <laughs> the, 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 the <laughs> So the lead guy is kind of fighting against something. And that's a bit like the way that climate change is, you know, the, the kind of popular narrative of how we are, we relate to climate change. It's something you've got to fight against. And then at the end of the film, the guy realizes he's, he, he's fighting against himself. And I think it's that kind of recognition is that the way that we address climate change in a way, is not by addressing climate change, it's by addressing everything else, because it's everything else that contributes to climate change. So climate change um, will be addressed through, just to go through, just to make some, you know, pick some examples from the top of my head. 
climate change will be addressed through the way we shop. Climate change will be addressed through the way we um, work, uh, uh, through the way we um, throw away our waste, and through the way we use our energy. And because, uh, so, so just to, to give a kind of parallel example, um, we'd be looking at this coronavirus situation we have you think, oh well, coronavirus—that's a—that's a—that's a disease. That's a health issue. Then we quit, you know, as we see, um, health issues are social issues that are environmental issues that are economic issues. These things are all tied together. Um, and the the idea of sustainability is that you you can't think about you know um, the economy and society and the environment as if they live on different planets they're all part of the same thing um and so i mean the the, the model one of the most popular models for sustainability is think it looks a bit like a bullseye um on a center of board it's that um there's the environment as the outer sphere circle and then society exists within the environment and the economy exists within that, and that's a kind of night. That's a nice idea, particularly for environmentally minded people, because it kind of grounds people. That oh well, of course the environment's the biggest one. We all exist within that. Um, but a few years ago, when the Sustainable Development Goals were were put together in 2015, um, they they were kind of rephrased a bit as as these things called the five P's, which makes it super easy to remember that sustainability is balancing considerations of uh, people, planet, prosperity, peace, and partnerships. So people, planet, and prosperity are, are an, another way of saying like the old three pillars of sustainability, which would be people would be society, planet would be the environment, and prosperity would be the economy. Um, but there was this recognition that <clears throat> that um, we, you need peace in order to grow um, the sustainable development goals and, you know, just as a, a steady basis for, 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 for us all to, to, to live and exist in. But also that peace is, a, um, is a, an outcome of sustainability, a, you know, a harmonious relationship between countries and sectors and reducing inequality would be great. It would make for a nice, peaceful world. And also, but the thing that that helps us get from where we are now to where we want to get to is partnerships. Partnerships are absolutely crucial because they're what enable you to do to, to to do new things, and to get us out of the kind of the wheel that we're on. That's that's um, that's that's trashing the environment. To be honest, can you talk a little bit about the role that museums play in kind of facilitating those? partnerships or what are their responsibilities? Yeah, so I think um, what I'd say to that is um, is some of the things that I, I said in the, the guide I did about the museums and the sustainable development goals is that there are estimated to be somewhere, well, the, the, the usual, the very common estimate you hear is that there are 55,000 museums in the world, but that estimate's about 30 years old. And then if you count up the number of museums that, that the different big um, regional networks, um, say maybe the American Alliance of Museums and the network of European museum organisations already comes to more than 50,000. But if we reckon that there are about 80 to 100,000 museums in the world, 
Um, well, what are they all about? Um, you know, there is a definition of what a museum is, but these definitions are slightly X, you know, they're, they're kind of slightly put together after the fact to um, make some kind of sense of all these different institutions that have got lots and lots of different histories and trajectories and so on. But if you, if I was to think about what I think museums are all about and what kind of, what they share in common is surely some kind of um, attachment to the importance of um, education and of people's right to have knowledge and the chance to participate in cult, you know, their their own culture, um, and so those that kind of language starts to sound very like some of the articles from the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that was put together after the Second World War about everyone has the right to cultural participation, everyone has the right to education, um, everyone has the right to leisure. And I think it's those kind of, if, that if museums kind of acknowledge that, that they're not self-evident institutions, they exist because they all have some kind of unwritten, tacit um, commitment that these things are important. Um, whether it's in their mission statements or whatever, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Um, and so that starts to make, to make more sense to me than having, having all these different institutions all slightly doing their own thing. Because one of the challenges of that is that museums slightly um, lack the, um, let's, let's go for it, something like, let's say they lack the culture for really very extensive um, partnerships. So if you were to think of something like libraries, libraries, to me, in the public imagination, people are really super clear of what a library is. Um, and they're all roughly, they're all quite comparable in some kind of way. They are a kind of public service of a kind. If you were to think about museums, they're they're much more diverse in a way. They're they're very different. You can, there are huge ones, there are really really small ones, there are community run ones, there are national ones, and they just seem a little bit different. Um, and so finding the models or the initiatives that museums can participate in that help them work in partnership is a really really good thing to me, and that's why I totally love the sustainable development goals. Um, and just to return to your question, because I've gone a bit off the point about, um, you know, what are museums' responsibilities? Um, I think they have responsibilities to themselves, of course, in terms of um, safeguarding cultural and natural heritage, but they also have surely have um, responsibilities to society. Um, and it's very common to hear museums talk about how trusted they are and if I'm honest, I find some of that slightly complacent um, because they're trusted by the people who trust them and completely mistrusted by the people who don't. Um, and so trust is an earned thing. And also trust is something that if it's lost, it's really, really hard to rebuild. So to me, if museums are to fulfill trust, then they have to be attendant to the world around them, you know, looking at, well, what's going on outside? 
what do they have inside, put the two things together to make some kind of public value. And I don't mean that museums have to be, you know, these kind of old-fashioned heroic institutions that are the last word and provide the expert voice and all that kind of thing, because that's really old hat. Um, but it's to acknowledge that they have a part to play, but so does everyone else. And it's not to say that they can play the part, but, you know, they need to be at the centre of things and all that kind of thing, because that just sounds like competition. But it's to say that all all sectors of society have a part to play, and muse and society will work better with museums than without them if they play their part. Um, and so, what what do I think museums can do, or what responsibilities do they have? I think museums do, in a way, museums have much greater freedom than politicians, um, because politicians have to balance lots and lots of competing interests, all this kind of thing. Um, if museums are surely on, on, in the business of some, you know, surely they're in the business of upholding human rights. That would seem to be the most basic, you know, foundation for them to operate from. Because if they didn't, that would almost sound, you know, illegal if not immoral. And so this is nothing to say that it's not the same as talking about museums taking sides, because that's something completely different. But um, if museums do have a role in society, it is to bring different sectors of society together and, you know, imagine and debate and create the, the futures that, that the public and communities want to want to build, you know, drawing on their resources, their collections, their exhibitions, and so on. Um, and so if I'll give you an example um, around climate change. So, so climate change is, is um, based on this uh, biggest assessment that's done each year, is the global risk that is most likely to occur and will have the most serious impact. In fact, it's already here. It's already happening. But if you were to look at, well, how many museums are really embracing um, the, the importance of climate change? And I don't just mean in terms of doing the odd exhibition or the odd event. I mean, really embracing the seriousness of the situation and what it means for them as a sector. I'm, af it's, I'm afraid it's not that many. Um, and so this, this is how it comes to, it's not just institutions who have roles that's a bit like saying that, you know, everything depends on the government telling us what to do. That's just not how society works. Um, it's about us all recognising we all have a part to play, whether we're an individual worker in a tiny museum, doesn't matter. If you're an individual worker in a huge museum, doesn't matter. You're still an individual worker. Um, and we all have... Um, we all have a sphere of influence that we can work in. And that, that's, where, that's where I think responsibility come, comes in. It's not just about uh, professional responsibility or sectoral responsibility. It's just about personal responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the idea that museums can be centers of, of collaboration and community is, is really powerful. Um, Henry, you mentioned 
your museums and sustainability or sustainable development goals guide briefly just now. Do you want to um, talk a bit more about that and perhaps a bit more about how that guide might pertain to conservation and collections care professionals? Yeah, so, so I'll, I'll explain why I wrote the guide. Like I wrote it in last summer. It was published last, last August. Um, and I mean, if I'm, if I'm honest, one of the things like I have a, enough self-awareness to, to know is one, one of the things I'm pretty good at is spotting a model that I totally love models. If I see a model, I think, well, how can I, how could, you know, how could we apply that? How can that help us move forward? Um, and I saw the, the sustainable development goals a few years ago, and they're, they're just, just totally brilliant. And I'll explain the reason why is that um, I mentioned before that one of the challenges for museums is that with, with, if they don't have a kind of common language, common goals, then they're always going to be kind of scattergun, you know, do all, each doing their own thing. Um, and that's really problematic because it doesn't, it prevents them from making collective, a collective impact. Um, and the other reason I love the, the sustainable development goals is that, I mean, they were, they were put together as a follow on from the millennium development goals, which had run from 2000 till 2015. And the Millennium Development Goals were about um, seeking to address um, poverty and uh, um, uh, um, poor health in the global south. And they had um, some; well, they had a lot more success than, than you generally um, see. But uh, that's another story. Um, but when when they they were looking for the revised program, there was a recognition that well, you you know we have one planet. You can't just deal with problems in one place without you know per, per, perhaps the problems are are generated somewhere else. Um, and so the sustainable development goals were put together as a as a much much more ambitious program. Um, and they were launched. Uh, well, they were agreed at the end of twenty fifteen and really launched in twenty sixteen. And one of the reason I totally love them is because the 17 goals and the 169 targets that support them were not put together by the United Nations um, or governments. They were put together by a big exercise that involved lots of different sectors. And so the reason I like this is because rather than museums saying, oh, well, you know, we're museums, we can do all these things, which, of course, they maybe can, but that's also just museums talk, talking from an internal viewpoint. It's not, it's not from an external need. Um, and so the 17 goals and the uh, 169 targets were, were put together through this exercise. Um, and I think the important thing to recognize as well is that the goals and the targets are not an end in themselves. They are the, the means for um, achieving something else, which is called the Agenda 2030, transforming our world. And if people aren't familiar with it and want a really um, that um, warm, fuzzy feeling, then please have a read of the, the vision that's in transforming our world. It's really easy to get on the internet. Um, and it's basically about um, setting the world on a path to a sustainable future by 2030. Um, looking at reducing inequality within and between countries um, and developing an economy that doesn't rely on trashing nature in the process. 
Um, and so the 17 goals um, cover a range of things. There's um, on poverty, on health, on uh, the economy, on jobs, uh, on consumption and production, on conserving nature, um, and um, peace and justice and partnerships. I'm not going to trot them all off because it's 17, it's too many. <laughs> and what I, what I realised was they were, these were such, such a fantastic opportunity for museums, not just because museums can benefit from them, but because here's an agenda that museums can participate in. So rather than museums going, oh, we're really, really important, you know, we've got all this great stuff, really the museums are much more credible if other you know if others can see them playing a part in a in an initiative and they certainly have have different parts to play in so i wrote this guide um to help them get started um i spent a long time thinking about the goals and targets and because i used to work i worked in museums for for a long for nearly 20 years um that that what i did was like look at well what are the things that museums do and how do they kind of align with the different goals and targets? And so I came up with a, a, my own model, so um, which has these seven key activities, and I will trot them off because I can remember them, uh, to protect and safeguard cultural and natural heritage, both in museums and in the wider world, to support education for the sustainable development goals, to promote cultural participation for everyone, to support sustainable tourism, to support research that contributes to the sustainable development goals, to take internal uh, museum decisions like management decisions and operational decisions that support the sustainable development goals, for instance, around uh, energy use or waste. And lastly, to direct your partnerships and your collaborations to the sustainable development goals. And I map these against the targets. And so that would cover around a third of the, the targets for the SDGs. There are some that museums are just they're they're just not um that it's just they're just not a very natural fit, um and so the other great thing with the sustainable development goals is because they're 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 already agreed by all countries so they're a kind of universal program it already exists it has lots of resources attached to it um, not necessarily financial but um. There are lots of uh, resources you can you can um, pull on, you can draw on, um, and so in terms of how the impact it can have, so so that guide because because I have it on a blog where you can see who who downloads it, so that guide's been downloaded about nine thousand times now, in pretty much every, wow. in pretty much every country of the world, um, and that's. That's what I like to do is to to look for well what is the kind of model that can help us you know collaborate and so on um, and so and so I am I am very happy with with that um, and it's great to have opportunities to you know to participate in things like this to to talk about them because um, because if people think that oh well the sustainable development goals that's all about governments and that's all about and you know the United Nations is totally, totally wrong. And when that goes back to the point um, we were, I was making before about you know we all have a sphere of influence, um, and actually in the agenda, you know, in the agenda, it's set out as an invitation to all sectors and indeed every person to participate because the future shouldn't just be something that we um, 
it's not it's not like where I was to leave the house tomorrow and get in a taxi and someone says, "Oh, I'm going to take you to this place." It's like, no, that's not what I what that's not how life should be like. We should occupy the future that we want, and we should occupy the future. And if we want to occupy the future we want, we also have a responsibility to make it that way. Um, and so that I think a, a, applies to all of us. And I um, mean, so in in terms of um, even very junior staff in museums or people who are interns or volunteers, doesn't matter. Um, and in a way, I would say that, because um, I think quite a few of your listeners are young, younger people, um, that in a way, younger people, you know, it sounds, I'm not going to come out with some really cheesy line about young people future and all that kind of thing. <laughs> Too much. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but what I would say is that um, people who are in the earlier parts of their, their career, they haven't got some of the bad habits that those of us who have been around for longer, that, you know, we have these fixed ideas in our mind about, oh, well, things have to be like this. So it's extremely helpful and very healthy for um, early career people ju just to challenge, you know, when, when they're told something, oh, well, it has to be like this, is to really, really challenge it because very often that's just a kind of faulty thinking that actually perpetuates the wheel that we're, that I was talking about before. So for instance, like in terms of conservators, um, so, so if ever I hear someone say, oh, well, you know, that's such and such, that has to be exhibited at 50 lux is to challenge, it's like, well, challenge that, you know, like rather than thinking, talking about absolutes, it's like, well, what what would need to be put in place in order for it to be done differently? Um, you know, and to look for, for alternatives and so on. Um, and I would also say that, I mean, can, if conservators think, well, what have I got to do with sustainable development? Um, so the one one of the sustainable development goals is around sustainable consumption and production, and it's got something in it. It's got a target in it about chemicals and 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 so on. As we all know, conservators use chemicals, and some of them are not so nice. Um, or looking at uh, lighting, and uh, and just to you know just to challenge some of these things and look. Well, we we all produce weight. We all. Um, we all have negative impacts. Like sustainable development is not about um, having a kind of uh, beauty parade where some people go, oh, well, I'm fantastic, and other ones go, well, I'm sorry, I'm terrible. That's totally the wrong way to look at it. Like sustainable development is the commitment to change. It's about at what your positive impacts are, your negative impacts, and making a you know, a, a conscious choice and saying, well, actually, I want things to be different and recognising that they're not going to be different by accident. They have to be different by design. Two things to say. One is that for those who are unfamiliar with your Museums and Sustainable Development Goals Guide, we will link to that blog post in our episode notes so that everyone can check it out for themselves. Um, and secondly, I, Henry, maybe you could just say a brief word for those who um, aren't familiar with the concept of sphere influence. Just maybe we could round out the conversation where you could talk about what the premise of, of that is. I mean, I'm in the UK and it's, I mean, I know quite a few people, lots of people over here, lots of people all over the place. And some of the discussion would be along the lines of, um, isn't it terrible that 
that a certain person who we don't need to name is withdrawing, is 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 not that interested in climate change, like a politician, for argument. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, I have no influence over those kinds of people, but I shouldn't let that get in the way of the influence that I do have. And so, the, like the i the idea of a sphere of influence is that. Um, if you imagine yourself and there's kind of concentric circles around you, there's things that you're very comfortable and safe with. And then there are things that are maybe a little bit more stretching and your sphere of influence, it might be working with different sectors or different people. It might, it might mean within your own um, institution or, or more broadly. Um, and then there's, there's outside your sphere of influence. There's just like people and organisations you're never, ever going to influence, never in a million years. But some of that belief that you'll never influence them in a million years is, again, just a, a self-generated, you know, fallacy that as you try things and you learn and you get better at them, if you keep going with it, you're, you're, that's actually how you grow your influence. And so actually the most interesting and effective place to operate is towards the edge of your sphere of influence because that's how you grow your influence. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not sounding like some kind of power crazy and that's not what I'm talking about at all. For instance, um, if you're in an, in an institution and it can be common for people in institutions to think, oh, well, nobody understands me, nobody values my work. It's like, well, if you only talk to people who are like yourself and the people that you always deal with, things are never, ever going to change. In fact, they're probably going to get worse. You need to kind of step out of it a bit and take the bit of the risk um, and just talk to people who are from perhaps other parts of the organisation, other sectors and so on. And it's about, because that, that comes to partnership as well. Like partnership is, isn't just between institutions, it's between different parts of an institution. And so, I mean, one of the, one of the things I realised when I wrote that guide was that um, I had these seven key activities and I was thinking about it and it's like, well, if a museum can develop them in all, all in balance with one another is actually how a museum will be sustainable as well, because um, I mean, my experience can be sometimes museums, what happens seems to be a kind of slight tug of war between competing interests, between different groups of staff in an institution. And what happens is just the kind of, you know, it's a bit like a tug of war and in the middle, that's what happens. It doesn't have to be like that. It's that the more... Um, institutions and those that work in them can recognize that everyone has a part to play. They don't necessarily have the same part to play, that museums aren't necessarily one thing. They don't, they don't have one um, purpose. That's totally great. Um, and it's just, that, that's, what I, that's what I mean about sphere of influence is um, uh, slightly in the face of adversity as it sometimes seems, it's like, well, that's actually the time to be a little bit brave and perhaps invite someone from a different department or just say hello to someone from a different department and talk about your work because if, if people don't um if they don't understand one another's work they're never going to value it um and in the same way um you could this is a totally scalable thing so you could think about that in terms of within a museum 
or across a group of museums or a museum in a town. The more all the actors and sectors can understand what, every, what each has to offer, that's, that's, how, that's, how we will, that's how sustainable development will happen. Um, it won't happen from, from um, people with competing interests, uh, doing their own thing um, and wishing things were the way they used to be. They're not the way they used to be. Um, but it's like, look at working together. Like, well, what, what collectively do we want them to be like? What part can we play in that and getting on and doing it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Henry, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us today. I think this was a really, really exciting and empowering way to kick off um, this series. In closing, do you have anything else that you'd like to say to our listeners? Yeah, so so one one tiny tiny piece of advice, I w- like I would say, mm-hmm. that, um, the like t- like tomorrow will never be tomorrow won't be different from today by accident. You have to plan it, um, and so. If you, if you have heard anything interesting and you think, well, there are things that I would like to do, is just put a little tiny note in your diary about what is the thing that you're going to do tomorrow or the next day. And because and that's how it will start to become a habit. And it doesn't need to be a big thing. It can just be a tiny thing. But it's just about um, recognising that there's a difference that you want to make, um, understanding the options that you have to make that difference, and then doing it and then reviewing it and enjoying it. That's it. It's super, super simple. And good luck. Thank you. That's really great advice. We so appreciate your your time and, and sharing your um, information. And, um, yeah, well, and thanks for the opportunity. It's been, it's, uh, I really enjoyed it. And as I say, like, uh, I just wish you all the best of luck with it. Thank you to everyone for joining us in this conversation. Uh, if you are interested in learning more about the topics we talked about today, please check out our episode notes. Um, you'll also find our email address there, so please feel free to reach out if you have any questions or feedback about content or if you just want to talk. We hope everyone's staying safe and well, and we will talk to you all soon with our next episode. <laughs>